Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Monday, January 9th, 2023. I'm John Podhortz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. With me, as always, executive editor, Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Media commentary columnist and American Enterprise Institute fellow, Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. And associate editor and author of The Rise of the New Puritans, Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. We have a Speaker of the House. Happened late Friday, early Saturday morning. Uh, after 15 ballots, Kevin McCarthy becomes Speaker of the House. And just throw this out to you guys. Six months from now, will we remember that there was this fight? Or does news travel move so fast that we will dimly remember that there was some issue at the beginning of Kevin McCarthy's speakership? And uh, it will be supplanted by other issues with Kevin McCarthy's speakership. Or will the other issues with Kevin McCarthy's speakership just keep being a permanent reminder of what happened to him as he tried to uh, establish himself as speaker? It's well, actually, uh, news moves so fast that this, because this lasted several days, this actually lasted longer than most news cycles. So in, in, <laughs> in, that, in that sense, I think it will li- it will leave more of an indelible mark. I, I'm with the third scenario where it's going to con- there's going to be the callback reminder, uh, like in a good sitcom where they do the callbacks uh, to the, to the fight because they have to figure out how to govern. And the first thing they have to do is pass a rules package. And they're already squabbling about that. There's all these like secret deals he cut that the moderates don't like whether or not they can manage to keep the government open and running is, is which is the bare minimum of their job. If they can't do that without constant public uh, meltdowns, then I think it's going to just be a, reminder to that to to what we watched the last few weeks no you have a you have a take i guess i kind of agree um <clears throat> with everybody john you uh you owe yourself a victory lap for being unable to think of any other outcome other than mccarthy winning and <laughs> that is what happened although with something that i don't think any of us predicted which is that the the real insurgents would just vote present after a grueling fight and there were six of them there were six holdouts which is more than enough to upend this very tiny uh majority and yeah the rules package is probably going to pass just because the moderates needed to pass the moderates are the most annoyed by it and they are also they have the most incentive to move forward with the business of legislating but there are a whole bunch of hiccups moving forward and uh, this, as we've been talking about, this makes this whole process so democratic that anybody has any any coalition of two, three, four Republicans has the opportunity to upend proceedings. And we don't know what that's going to look like. I'm very hesitant to draw any projections about everybody's talking about the debt ceiling fight, which is in September. But there's a whole lot of you know hit, uh, obstacles in the way before then and hiccups that could arise. And we will be consistently reminded of the concessions that were made to get McCarthy the speaker. So Will we remember this fight? No, most likely. The outcome of the fight will constantly remind us, however, that we have the weakest speakership and probably the history of the country. So uh, I think that uh, we will remember this fight and that it will be the paradigmatic event in American politics until there is a serious contest for the presidency because um, everybody outside of the moderates that you're talking about and McCarthy and a couple of other people has an incentive to keep this memory alive. The Democrats want people to be reminded constantly that the Republicans are crazy, 
the media wants to assist in that effort. And the crazies want people to remember that they had the power to shut the country down for a couple of days while this was going on. I want to remind Kevin McCarthy that he better kowtow to them or they will upend his speakership again with a motion to vacate that will cause another leadership crisis where we will end up with the same result, which is to say McCarthy will be reelected to the speak. The motion to vacate will pass, and then they'll have to vote for speaker again, and then he'll be speaker again. Uh, but uh, they have incentives to do that, and therefore I think that absent another crisis, um, we will be reminded of this constantly, uh, particularly since uh, January 6th is passing from the scene the report has been issued. Uh, the anniversary has been passed, uh, with the exception of whatever the Justice Department special prosecutor is going to do. That story is by and large over, and this is an add-on follow-up that allows them to freshen the story. The story is, again, Republicans are crazy. And they're crazy because they want to interfere with the good working order of the government. They want to prevent things from happening. And that is not why 90% of the people who go to the polls to vote in elections, that is not what they want the government to do. Um, but the weird incentive structures that govern the way the insurgents work, uh, they want credit for being fighters. <clears throat> fighters generally fight for a purpose, which is to defeat somebody so they decided that they wanted to defeat mccarthy so they didn't defeat mccarthy they can't really defeat the democrats i mean they can actually they can prevent activist legislation from being passed but that is a party-wide interest and this question is can their desire to be known as fighters when the fight is pure nihilism um can that be turned against them by other republicans over time can other Republicans say, we have a great party here. It's being hijacked by this tiny rump of people who want to ruin everything. And Kevin McCarthy may have made an agreement that says that he won't fund rivals and primary challengers to these people. But that doesn't mean that everybody else who is a Republican, every donor, every moderate, every, you know, can't go at their jugulars. And um, it doesn't just have to be moderates like Mike Rogers, who is the guy who nearly, you know, took a bite, took a swing at um, Matt Gates on Friday night is no, no moderate. You know, he is a rock ribbed, you know, rural Carolinian, uh, and you know he wasn't he he what he didn't want to kill Matt Gates because he and Matt Gates have so many differences on policy. He wanted to kill Matt Gates because Matt Gates was ruining his life, and that is the thing about these insurgents. They are ruining. They just spent a week ruining the lives of their fellow party members, and any effort they make to enforce their orthodoxy or their power will have exactly the same effect. No one can leave the chamber. Nothing can happen. They can't go home. You know, they can't go deal with their sick wife, uh, you know, who had a medical emergency involving a birth. They have to stay, you know, all of that stuff. Like it's, this is 
bad. This is like bad. I mean, it's bad for Republicans. And I think it's really, really good for Democrats. I mean, I think it's really good for Democrats. Well, they're going to and they're already giving um, they're going to give up some of the stuff that the Republican Party has generally historically been consistently good at, for example, defense spending. So Jim Jordan went on the weekend news shows and was like, yeah, that's on the table now. We're going to talk about what we're the money we're sending to Ukraine and see if we could better spend that here in the U.S. I mean, the fact that McCarthy is putting that out there as something that's negotiable is not good because that gives an opportunity politically for Democrats to say, look, all the they don't even care about our country's military. They don't they don't want to they're taking money away from that. They're going to cut spending programs for domestic policy stuff. They, they're going to they're giving them a 2024 message. It's going to be pretty compelling for those moderate voters who they lost because of Trump in the in the midterms. But that was telegraphed. 12 years ago. And it, I think this is an important thing to remember, because when we heard that, you know, Jim Jordan said, well, defense spending has to be on the table because we have to spend less and all of that. O- Obama tried to play this card with the House Republicans when they took over in 2011 uh, with the question of whether or not when they shut the government down or partially shut them over the debt ceiling and everything like that. Uh, Obama said, okay, here's our deal. We'll, we'll agree to some kind of 10% across the board cut in spending and discretionary spending. That's going to affect the military. And he thought that that was a poison pill that Republicans couldn't swallow. And the Tea Partier said, okay, that was the first crack in the, you know, in the Republican orthodoxy on defense spending, which was pretty much always the more is better. Um, and we're now 12 years later, and basically now this has become an affirmative policy, which is Democrats want all this defense spending because they want to help Hunter Biden's business associates in Ukraine. I don't know what they're thinking because, you know, we have that we're making we're making this terrible decision to, you know, make sure that another country isn't swallowed up by another country on the European continent. Uh, for the first time in, you know, three quarters of a century, how terrible of us. That's just terrible. We shouldn't be doing that. We should be spending money in Jim Jordan's district so that more people can get addicted to fentanyl in his district. That's really great. Congratulations to everybody in Ohio. I mean, so, but. Well, that's just it. You just outlined the the contours of a losing debate. Uh, and they very well could stumble into a losing debate on this. There's this rumor. It's not been confirmed that one of the concessions that McCarthy made is to agree to a uh, cap, fiscal year cap in 2024 that would cap discretionary spending at 2022 levels, uh, which would take out about $75 billion in defense spending. Now, in a in a defense budget, that's what, $800 billion, something yeah, like so that? Yeah, so it's 10% of the defense. doesn't sound like a lot, but that yeah, 10% is a ton of money. And there are cuts to be made to defense. The appropriations process is, or, or the... Um, Acquisitions process, acquisitions of new platforms and R&D, for example, is really bloated. John McCain was one of the people who was constantly arguing about the need to reform this process. And he's right and still right or was right. Um, But this is dumb. This is a foolish uh, approach. This doesn't take a scalpel. It takes a a meat cleaver to the budget and doesn't care what it cuts. It's just cuts for cuts sake. But they don't want it everywhere. And especially given the threat environment, the destabilized environment abroad, and public opinion in favor of that favors 
proactive defense and building up their defense capacity and meeting the threats where they live, especially from near peer competitors. It seems like a dumb argument that could easily be lost. And they'll be playing to the cheap seats. They'll be playing to people who don't care about any of this stuff. They just want, they like the pain that's associated with these sort of cuts. Uh, so that's an easy way to to argue against it. I think the second they encounter any substance, you're not going to hear anything other than table pounding, rabble rousing, soapbox, ag soapbox agitation, and they'll lose the fight. They'll be very annoyed by the fact that they lost the fight. They'll be aggrieved by the fact they lost the fight, but they will lose the fight. Okay, look, we're talking about defense spending, and that, is, that ain't nothing when you're talking about 2024. A basically, you know, budgetary cap hands democrats the issue that they want more than anything else in 2024 against republicans which is they want to cut your social security and your medicare that is what an across the board cut means that is you know uh and so whether it's true or not whether that's how it functions or not Republicans have to make a complicated argument to say that don't worry, entitlements aren't really covered by this because they're not discretionary. They are mandatory, blah, 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 blah. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. This is what Democrats want going into 2024. They used it in 2022 with absolutely no evidence that Republicans wanted to cut Social Security and Medicare. Supposedly, Trump had saved them from the Paul Ryan, we're going to better do something about uh, about entitlements or the country is going to go broke argument when Trump said, I'm not touching entitlements. And that was like, oh, my God, he's cracked the code of populism, you see, because Republican voters now, they want their entitlements and yeah, they're not ideological about this and all of that. Well, great. So now we're going right back into the fight. Everything old is new again. We're just going right back into the fight where what Republicans want to do is cut entitlements and they're like and now this is like conservative republicans who are supposedly trumper populist trumpers who are the cause of the republican parties having to spend a year and a half will be the cause of having to spend a year and a half on defense going into the 24 elections about social security and medicare and who gets hurt by that most again not people who are in trump plus 40 districts who aren't going to lose their seats it's people in Trump plus five districts or, you know, Biden plus one districts or whatever it is that are that are are threatened by a, a fight like this. So in every way, shape or form, I just read Eric Erickson, Eric Erickson, the talk show host, uh, Georgia populist guy who was like, look, we need to divide. We need to separate out the people who got real wins here in the fight against McCarthy and just the people who want to see the world burn. Matt Gaetz just wanted to see the world burn, but Chip Roy and all these other guys, they're getting great stuff for the American people. No, they are not. They are not getting anything for the American people. Is it good, theoretically, that individual appropriations bills will now be considered one by one as opposed to an, in, in an omnibus? Uh, I suppose. Uh, but it's only really good when both parties agree that it's good for there to be a budgetary process that is uh, salient and specific. If both parties don't agree and you only have a five-seat majority, you are getting absolutely nothing by separating out this appropriations process because guess what is going to happen in the end? There is going to be an omnibus bill mm -hmm. 
I don't care what the agreement says. I don't care that they that they had him say that. They, so the bills will come up. And then in the end, they will be all assembled into one omnibus bill and passed because somehow there has to be money for the federal government. And all these people are going to have these appropriations going to come up and then they're going to vote against them so that they can cast a vote against the appropriations because all appropriations are bad. I think that this is a Rube Goldberg, you know, this is they're putting the gun to their own temples and saying, stop or I'll shoot. And if you're Katie Porter sitting there reading the art of not giving an F on the floor of the Congress, you're like, go ahead and shoot. I'm not going to stop you. Why don't you guys, all you Republicans, just go ahead and shoot like we're going to be there to pick it. You know, we're going to be there to pick up the leavings when you when you you know blow your entire party up. Tell me, I, I, so this is my, so this is my like uh, reverse nihilism, which is like the everything that they did here was was foolish. Uh, even though it looks okay, like it looks okay to say we're going to have rational budgetary process, we're going to have twelve, fourteen appropriations bills, and not one big bill. But it doesn't reflect reality. You know, like, it's like, you know what we should have now? We should not have as many divorces or we should not have, you know, it's really bad for people that they don't have fathers in the home. So there should be fathers in the home. Okay, we all agree there should be fathers in the home and that it's terrible that there are, you know, absent fathers and single mothers having to raise kids and so many kids out of wedlock. Can't make policy out of that. That's the condition that... You have to deal with the reality as it is and see if there's some way to mitigate the damage. The reality as it is is the Republicans have a five-seat majority in the House or a seven-seat majority in the House, and they're not going to be able to do anything. Well, it seems like that's kind of – it's kind of the opposite problem or the opposite issue the likely I, – I mean, I'm making a prediction here, which might prove wrong. But the, when the when the Democrats and Joe Biden had a very small majority, they acted as if – or they had a tie, basically, in the Senate. They acted as if they had this massive majority and this, you know, New Deal-esque, like, uh, policy uh, situation developed where they overreached. That Republicans might have the opposite problem in the House. With a very small majority, instead of kind of being overly bold, they're just gonna squabble. They're gonna be insular. They're gonna they're gonna be they're gonna be picking at each other and battling each other at the very moment where they actually need to make at least one or two um major policy uh, efforts that show voters that they're still a functioning political party. Well, and I mean, I... I have no faith that they can do that, but that's what they need to do. But what they're going to do is squabble internally in a way that isn't overreach, but is just as detrimental to their party's hopes for the but what election. can they do? I mean, you say that there's this, you know, there's a window here of opportunity to do something, something bold. But what? Senate's, bold. Senate's a 51 Democratic majority. Nothing's getting through the upper chamber that Republicans in the House want. They can't they do can... anything. Right. Well, it's 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 you know there's gridlock, but they can at least make an effort to look like they're government. What they, they can, can do, do some basic oversight. They can pass a budget. They cannot hold they, the they government will not, hostage. They can't pass a budget. Actually, um, here's what they could do. They could do sequestration. Last time we ever had actual real cuts, uh, in in the form of the dumbest possible way, and it was designed to be the dumbest possible way. It was the right, Simpson Bowles Commission. Obama 2011. Simpson Bowles Commission. Big debt. You know, blue ribbon commission to reduce uh debt and the deficit came up with all these 
uh, recommendations. And the deal was, if you don't agree to these recommendations, then we'll have a bunch of dumb across the board cuts that everyone's going to hate. Uh, entitlements, defense spending, everything's on the table. It'll all get cut unless you agree to this really smart package. And the really smart package failed and the really dumb package succeeded. And it succeeded for like five years. Sequestration was was the, you know, what Congress had to abide to, I think, until like 2017, until the until the Republicans passed the tax, the tax cut bill. So that's what they can do. They can do really dumb across the board cuts that gores everybody's ox. They will get blamed for everything. Let's just make this clear. They will get blamed for everything. Because they don't want to do anything. So if nothing gets done, the only thing they can take credit for is nothing getting done. Now, some of that will be fine, right? Because they will, by definition, be retarding and and interfering with a democratic overreach. But guess what? That's also good for Democrats. Let's assume that Joe Biden is going to declare for the presidency in the next couple of months. What is the best thing for him? Not to be able to spend two years passing liberal legislation. That would be bad for him. He's done it. He spent the first two years passing liberal legislation, you know, solidifying his base, uh, uniting his party behind him. And now it's like, well, look, I would want to uh, turn the oceans to lemonade, but these Republicans won't allow me to. And so, you know, he is prevented by this political circumstance from having to do things that Republicans could run against him on in the year in which they happen. So once again, yeah, Abe, sorry. I mean, they want to be blamed for everything, don't they? Like, isn't that the game? They, they, They want to be saboteurs and they want to demonstrate that that's what they are. They don't want to win arguments. The, the, the problem is, in getting blamed for everything, they take down those who don't want to get blamed for everything. Right. Well, again, the they. I'm just saying. I'm saying it no longer matters who wants what. The die is cast. When things don't happen in Washington that the public would like to see happen, like the government staying open, Republicans will get blamed. Things that Democrats would do that would get Democrats blamed outside of executive action, which we can talk about in a bit, particularly in relation to immigration. Uh, When things happen they don't like, they can blame Republicans. And when things don't happen, they can blame Republicans. And the policies that are forced upon Republicans by, for example, sequestration, which is what Noah's talking about or something like that, like cuts to entitlements or slowdowns in the growth of entitlements or some version of that, they will get blamed for it. This is a perfect setup for democratic success in 2024. And don't let anybody tell you different. Okay. Well then don't, don't listen to me, but I mean, wasn't this the exact same set of circumstances that Obama inherited after 2014? We no, after 2011. Wait. No, no, there's a, we can't wait. There's a pen in the phone. All that stuff redounded not to Democratic. Biden doesn't have to do. No, but Biden, let's just make this clear. Biden is, 2012 is the wrong, 2014 is the wrong example. Obama's legislative ambitions were ended by the election, the Republican tsunami of 2010, right? That saved his presidency. He didn't get to do anything else except that they shut the government down. 
and you know screwed up the debt ceiling and all of that and then he had his their crazy argument for a year biden is in exactly the same position here and he's already started making that argument and he's already started shifting more to the center in in preparation right. for 2024 right that's why he went to the border finally two years right. too late that's why he appeared in kentucky last week with senator mcconnell this is what he's doing and every time he's questioned on his own administration's failure of uh policy particularly with the border he blames republicans he did it already he said oh it's because they didn't pass my my bill before that's that's why you have the problem at the border which is ridiculous he's he's done very little at, during a moment of you know several years of obvious crisis. And the only thing he's done is kind of keep the one by uh, Trump era policy that that they previously condemned. So that I mean, whatever he does going forward, he can he he's already starting that political posturing and moving to the center. And that's going to be effective for him. I mean, it worked before. He's going to just keep pointing to the crazy. He's going to ignore his progressives for a while. Meanwhile, they're already ensconced in his administration doing what they want to do. So it's not as it's, it's different because right. it's not you know, he's an incumbent. But that will it'll be very effective and the Republicans will play right into it with their right. chaos. And here's the thing. So if he's following the model that I think he's going to follow, this is the Clinton 95 model, 96 model. And that was improvisatory. Right. Clinton <clears throat> Clinton was destroyed in 1994. The Democratic Party was destroyed in 1994. The assumption was, boy, he is pretty close to toast and certain things the Republicans did in 95 uh, things they didn't do like Oklahoma City, but things they did do like shutting down the government and and a and a serious economic rebound uh, handed Clinton the oxygen that he needed to win his second term. As I say, the thing is that what the last thing Biden needs is to be an activist president in 2023 and 2024. He doesn't need that. He's done what he had to do. He spent six billion dollars six trillion dollars or whatever it is you know he did the inflation reduction act he's done green stuff he did infrastructure he can run on all that with democrats and he doesn't he's not handing republicans at least legislatively he will not be handing republicans the weapons with which they can destroy him now can he do it in executive actions and can the executive branch overreach and do terrible things that will harm him or harm whoever runs Yes, and we should get to that in a minute. But before we do that, I want to talk to you about Bambi. Because um, when running a business, your employees can create all kinds of interesting situations. You know, like somebody comes in, doesn't bathe, smells horrible. Other people complain. What on earth do you do? Well, Bambi provides you with a dedicated HR manager starting at $99 a month. Not $80,000 a year in salary, but $99 a month, U.S.-based. Uh, providing guidance, policies, uh, all the things that you need from an HR department at $99 a month. And with Bambi's HR Autopilot, you can automate important HR practices like setting policies, training, and feedback from this U.S.-based person who knows our culture, knows how we do things, and knows how to talk uh, policy with employees so schedule your free conversation today to see how much bambi can take off your plate go to bambi.com right now type in commentary magazine under podcast when you sign up it'll really help the show spelled b-a-m-b-e-e.com bambi.com type in commentary magazine 
Okay, Biden goes to the border. Why does he go to the border? What's he trying to do? He's trying to neutralize the border as an issue, obviously, or at least, you know, uh, or at least do something to slow down the downside on the border for him because it's the issue on which I believe he pulls the worst, if I'm not mistaken. And of course, without the Democratic Party firm, firmed and so- solidly behind him, um, and the party's activist base basically essentially not only being open borders, but being actively supportive of uh antinomian scofflawry in relation to to immigration law uh he went to the border so we could say he went to the border um, but he didn't go to the border well he went near the he went border. to el paso he went to el paso well, texas el paso to is not the border yeah well el paso is he doesn't want bridge. that border photo up he wants yeah, el i mean paso. like uh, i'll go to the river walk and pretend that i went to the border too I and mean, that's no that's san antonio you got your wrong you got your wrong city there el paso it's is as on close the as i'll be getting, i'll be closer there. than biden no this there. is nonsense i've been and to el paso there's a bridge in el paso you cross even the bridge CNN halfway is through the bridge you're in juarez what even cnn is calling this I out i know they Fine. said um biden's highly anticipated first visit to the southern border as president saw him leave texas without witnessing the, f- the worst of the humanitarian crisis that local elected officials and advocates have been warning about for weeks. This is CNN. And El Paso's mayor is the one who declared a state of emergency. He's a Democratic mayor, and they, the Democrats are putting a lot of pressure on him not to do this for a while, particularly before the midterm elections. And he did declare it because it is a state of emergency. He does not want that photo up. He does not. Biden does not want his picture taken amid this humanitarian crisis. That would be bad optics for him. But what he did do is he blamed Republicans. He said... Washington Post quoted him saying, if the most extreme Republicans continue to demagogue this issue, meaning immigration, and reject solutions, I'm left with only one choice, to act on my own, to do as much as I can on my own, to try to change the atmosphere. Honestly, I think this is worse. I think I think it would have been better visuals for him to try to do an AOC style, like just, you know, emote beside a chain link fence sort of situation. By a parking lot, as AOC did. Right. I mean, it was it was theater. But at least it was theater that the press could sink its teeth into. Here is just he's in a parking lot at a CBB, uh, CPB facility. Uh, yeah, and but just, you know, looking at equipment. Yeah, but AOC can do that because she can sort of throw up her hands and, you know, it's on him. He he can't sort of just behold this thing as and 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 weep over it as president. Well, especially because he's also fighting the more progressive wing of his own party about things like Title 42. You know, he he's he is trying to split a difference there among Democrats. You've got the people who want, you know, a completely open border and, you know, instant citizenship for all the dreamers, all the stuff that that really isn't something that the majority of Americans on either side of the political aisle want. So he's trying to keep them at bay while also kind of pantomiming caring about the border, which he, you know. He hasn't for two years. I mean, this has been a serious crisis for many years, and they have actively prevented news media and others from even picturing some of the stuff that's going on. They really don't want the public to be looking very closely at what's happening at the border. Some and, and he wants said, to run away just... from it all, all over again, too. I mean, he's not this is not this is like he thinks he's paying his dues here. You know, <laughs> and this is after after years of lot. You know, they the White House had said he'd been to the border. <laughs> already so they tried just saying that was weird wasn't it yeah (laughs) now they're kind of going near it and now he's now it's going to be gone again but that's it some reports said this was his first trip to the border in his life is that true i feel like that's impossible it's really hard to tell because his life story is all he never went to tijuana he's exactly he's very old i feel like that's impossible like Like everyone's gone to to tijuana (laughs) 
you just you know just go and then you buy well he's more of a tulum type you're in san diego if you're in san diego you go to tijuana it takes 10 minutes you go in they're selling you know like suitcases and 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 now they sell steroids president to send your frogs yeah now look you guys are all right cynical and he's not going to board all this the whole purpose of this is to eliminate the talking point that he hasn't been to or near the border. So yes, CNN's calling him out on it. And yes, you know, he's that doesn't mean it. And it's all nonsense and all of that. But um, he's checking off a box. I went to the border. I went, I saw, we have to do something when we're, do- let me tell you, we're doing a lot of things. Lot of, ooh, there's a lot going on here behind that you don't even know. You don't even know how much we're doing, and therefore he ha- gives Democrats, who again are thrown on the defensive by 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 the like Democrats with you know a lot of Republicans in their districts or whatever who are thrown on the defensive when people say what is Biden doing about the border? Look at this, it's a disaster. But like he went, does it? How much does it help? Well, it doesn't hurt doesn't help yeah but he acts as if he's the pope going and he gives a blessing at the border and suddenly everything is fine that's not his role he actually is in i'm not in charge of policy terms i am not saying that there is anything remotely praiseworthy in his behavior but what is interesting is that he did it at all and he did it this is the this is the thing that tells you that he is going to run for president again Anybody who thinks he's not running for president again is wrong. He is running for president again. He will declare as late as he can. Ah, Noah's shaking. Noah's the holdout. I like that. No one's going to remember that I've been saying this for two years. So I'm going to remind you that I've been saying this for two years. Yeah. What? That he's going to run. That he's going to run again. That's true. Noah has no other alternative. There, right. Well, it's like it's like the Kevin McCarthy story. There is no other alternative. If you can come up with an alternative. Unless he really, really, really can't, unless the cognitive decline is so severe. Oh, he would still run. They would still run him. I'm sorry, but look at look at our latest senator from Pennsylvania. They will still run him. And I and I got to say one thing that's there was a great column in Spiked, which is a UK sort of libertarian publication, and it had the best title, which I think captures this moment both on the right and the left. And it says America, a a nation of giants led by pygmies. And it's basically this (laughs) argument that our political class is just full of idiots. But the nation itself and its ideals and particularly its constitution remain this this beacon of of, you know, credibility and and global. Global, uh, power and so even though we're currently being led by pygmies we can still try to rely on her i mean christine raises a really interesting point there because i've always been letting myself giving myself the out that a catastrophic health event an edith wilson event would give everybody the out they need to usher him off the stage but then you have senator stroke victim maybe not maybe not and how dare well, you <laughs> challenge someone who who has disabilities noah how dare you Senator stroke victim had his stroke when? Like he had after he, yeah. After he won. After he won the no. primary. No, after he won the primary. primary. The day before. But after days he before won the, the primary. Yes. But and he could have withdrawn okay. and someone else could have won that seat for the I'm Democrats. aware of that. I'm aware yeah. of that. But Biden's cognitive issues are two years. We've been watching him for two years, maybe longer. And I mean, I I, I wouldn't say that he is a lead pipe cinch to be the nominee and the candidate 
in November 2024. Things can happen between now and then. He is 80 years old. 80 years old is old. He he's looks an like old he, 80, too. I know I always say this, yeah, but he's, he's an old 80. He's an old, well, I don't know. He's no, not, he is. He is. I don't know. Comparatively speaking, I don't know whether he is or not. But but, but if there's something going on there, like there's a long time. By the way, not only is there a long time, but there's a long time for him to get out and other people to get in. I mean, maybe that would be preferable in a weird way for the Democratic Party. Let's just say I'm now I'm just getting like ghoulish but you know something happens in october november that really calls into question whether or not he can run for a second term um maybe it's better for democrats that they only have two or three months to run for the presidency because then they can't just spend all this time like but it's like the basement strategy with a different candidate like we won't have time to really spend much time around this candidate and we it's like it's like it's like you know we should do we're going to spend six months trying to figure out how to sound like we're all communists who want to destroy the country as quickly as possible you know joaquin castro and and uh kirsten gillibrand and all it's like no here's what i'll do to destroy cap no here's what i'm going to do to destroy capitalism i'm going to take your guns and shove them down your throat and blow them up inside your stomach that's what i'm going to do this is what democrats did when they had all the time in the world running in 2020 so the one guy who said i'm not going to do any of that like one going away after the three lunatics in the caucuses got to you know and and the 12 lunatics in new hampshire got to have their say for five minutes and that's like you know what we can't and we can't actually nominate a crazy person here's the here's the non-crazy person well look at look at gavin newsom gavin newsom gave his inaugural address over the weekend i believe and and he's like trying to sound reagan-esque now he's like we are the really the freedom state it was like an obviously direct response to to the inaugural address that ron DeSantis in florida gave recently and it's kind of hilarious like mr elite french laundry dining um uh, dilettante here is is going to talk about being the freedom state. I mean, his state is the is the perfect example of over bureaucratized, overtaxed, really horrible manage management of of freedom and and an attempt to quash it. But he's going to run on that, like, and, and that's actually these these are the great hopes of the Democratic Party's future. The people who actually co opt Reagan esque rhetoric while they govern like almost quasi socialists. Yeah, California is well, obsessed. With New York, with uh, Florida and, and Texas, Florida, Florida and Texas, yeah. obsessed to the degree that it's a let that it's letting Republican governors in other states define that state in opposition to them. But nevertheless, they are they have no identity on their own anymore. Their identity well, is, in, is defined Texas. in opposition to Republican governance in far more successful states. Yeah, I mean, well, and they're losing be... citizens to both of those states. That's that's part of the panic. Californians yeah, are it, leaving. Yeah. But what was interesting was it used to be all Texas, and then all of a sudden it became Florida also. That that was what was interesting, is it's like, and it's Florida in part because Gavin Newsom seems to have some kind of bizarre, um, you know, envy thing for DeSantis. Like he's got some, he's got some personal bee in his bonnet relating to DeSantis that is very interesting, and I don't really understand it. Like, what maybe they had an encounter somewhere, and now he just wants to do to DeSantis what no, Mike no, no, no. Newsom is the cla- to- no. 
No, no. Sorry. I'm going to go high school on this. Okay. Newsom is the classic like big man on campus. Like I have the hair. I'm the attractive guy. All the girls like me. And then actually, the and, and he gets away with murder. He does all kinds of drugs when he's young. He gets into all kinds of trouble. It's always covered up for him. He continues to rise. You know, he's student body president. Everybody's going to vote for him. Meanwhile, there's this scrappy guy who's kind of awkward, a little bit gruff. But has charisma. It's a weird charisma. He's, he, you know, pe- not everybody likes it, but he he draws people to him. His message is appealing, and he's going to upset the the guy who was supposed to sail into the presidency. And their their styles are really different. But I think Newsom is he's exhibiting classic cases of feeling threatened. <laughs> like, I mean, uh, yeah. sorry, I'm psychoanalyzing two men. I I don't know, but it's Newsom is hilarious. I love watching. Yeah, My sister's a to, resident of California, yeah. so we have fun picking apart his. Psychology. Well, Newsom went to Santa Clara University, and of course, um, Santos went to uh, Yale and Harvard, uh, mm-hmm. on, and was a star baseball player. So he really does have a Ted McGinley vibe, though. <laughs> You've really put your finger on it. But Ted, yeah. Yeah, which Ted McGinley though? Are we talking about the Ted That's McGinley? Stan Gable from Revenge of the Nerds. You're talking about yes. the Stan Gable Ted McGinley or yes. the Ted McGinley who just replaced everybody on on TV series over and over. <laughs> yeah. Like he, he was always like, oh, you know what? I we we need someone to. Everyone's left the you know Potsy left the castle. So we need to have Ted Ted's McGinley. good for that. Good Ted. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> but you know, I'll, I'll I'll say this about DeSantis. Um, one of the most impressive things that he's doing so far, see if he can keep doing it, um, is. He is not at all um, sort of um, implicated at all in this sort of Republican loser stink, you know? Right. He, like, like they're all burying themselves and fighting, infighting, everything, and he's sort of just cruising on top of all of it, past all of it. And can make the legit make the argument if he runs that he's the outsider who actually has right. preserved the conservative values and the Republican values that used to reign supreme when Republicans controlled Congress and can come in and reform the mess that they've made of things. You know what, John? You said that before on our text thread that the Republican governors can really benefit from the contrast. Oh uh, yeah, presented by the what we anticipate will be a very dysfunctional Republican lit house. Remember what George W. Bush said in nineteen in the nineteen nineties. He said, "I have no played no role, and I have no stake in the silly battles in Washington." That he was referring to impeachment and and Lewinsky Gate and all. That. He's like, "I'm coming in from Austin. All that stuff that you've been watching for six years." Gingrich versus Clinton. I am above and beyond and outside that. Like that. And by the way, Reagan did the same thing. Like this is why governors make such good candidates for president, um, actually, because they don't cast votes on complicated issues locally. But, you know, DeSantis also as a controversialist did this incredibly interesting thing on Friday. So um, I remember this from my own days applying to university in 1977. So if you looked in the guidebook to, you know, the most, uh, the hardest to get into schools in America, there was sort of a list in the front of the big paperback. I can't remember what it was called that had like all the college. I know this because my kids apply next year. It's the Fisk guide, right? Now it's the Fisk guide. It wasn't guide, the Fisk but... guide because Fisk, <laughs> Fisk didn't exist then, but okay. it was whatever the version was of the Fisk guide. And one of the schools was the New College of Florida. And it's like, what is this? So you look it up in some some point in the early 70s, uh, Governor of Florida, Florida decided to start a um, progressive college 
uh, in the university system, a progressive college that would, you know, hew to progressive values and, you know, education, all of that. And it was going to be called the new college. And it was hard to get into because it was small. So I, I didn't think about this again for like 40 years until I read the other day. It still exists, which I didn't know. And that um, and that it's still, you know, a big commie, you know, nonsense place. And all of a sudden, DeSantis is overhauling its board. And who does he put on its board? Now, the most the most explosive person he put on its board is Chris Rufo, who's the guy at Manhattan Institute, who is the, you know, sort of like the person, the policy entrepreneur who has made critical race theory in schools a big issue, right? So uh, there's Chris Rufo, but it's not just Chris Rufo, and that's what makes it really interesting. So others who are in the um, uh, who are who are in the game uh, are going to be on replacing the board of New College are M Mark Bauerlein, who was a longtime professor of. Uh, at uh, Christine's semi-alma mater, Emory, professor of English, now works at First Things, but is like a, wrote, I mean, one of the earliest books on how students are becoming stupid. Uh, Mark Bauerlein, Matt Spaulding of, of, uh, of Hillsdale, and a couple of other people who are legitimate academics. Chris, Chris Ruff is a bomb thrower of a kind but legitimate academics and he, and they have decided to overhaul uh, and, uh, and Charles Kessler, uh, the, um, you know, editor of the Claremont review, old friend of mine, West coast Straussian. Uh, anyway, it's just a fascinating thing because it's both, you know, he didn't do it and then appoint some hack, you know, who's his friend to run new college. He's doing interesting systematic things, right? Uh, ben Sass is going to be the chancellor of the University of Florida and new college's board has been, this is an interesting guy. Interesting things are going on and everyone's going to scream about them and they're going to look very good to conservatives and they're also going to look good to middle of the road people if they can hear it, who, who are told, you know, look, these places are just going crazy like they're, they're all running away and he's trying to establish sanity back in the university system in the public university system you think that argument won't resonate it's also i, I mean it's a fascinating and interesting thing also because the public perception of of florida and floridians and and the culture is not that is not one of um intellectual sophistication right um, hey now, and, hey now, watch no, 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 no. my people you're talking about. The public perception, <laughs> the public perception, you know, you know, yes. it's a it's like a, it's a me. It's a joke. You know? Yeah, right. it's Florida man. Yeah, of right. course. Exactly. Of course. <laughs> What's a dated perception, though? That's like well, a 10 becoming kind of one. Thanks. 10 to years the, old. Yeah. Right. Because of him. That's yeah. right. Anyway, um, because, you know, people have done stuff like this before and have done sort of like been been, you know, been provocateurs and appointed people in a provocative way. But often in a often kind of stupidly, and clearly there's something else more um, uh, impressive, and uh, in some ways wildly more provocative. Because of course, if you just appoint a hack to do your bidding, uh, chances are that person is going to screw up and be stupid and say stupid things and embarrass you, and then you're going to have to fire him after six months. Isn't and Ben Sass now the head of the? system the florida system 
Yeah, that's what I just said. Well, yeah, no, yeah, of, yeah. of University of Florida. University of Florida. Yeah, which, which is, is sort of the flagship. The, the one in, the, in Gainesville, yeah. right? Gainesville, yeah. Gainesville, right. So, and he yeah. can't serve in any sort of surrogate capacity, given his role what? in 2024. Yeah? You mean for DeSantis? Yeah, I mean, just in, obviously citizen. not hitting the stump, but, you know, just existing right. as a as a pole in this education. Yeah. Group. No, no, no. He wouldn't. He wouldn't be. He wouldn't be on the stump anyway. Clearly, so, of course. But yeah. by virtue yeah. of his existence, and the fact that yeah. he will have a probably a bigger platform if education becomes a big issue, and Ron DeSantis runs, and this is the model that he's running on. And Sass wrote a great op-ed in the Wall Street Journal. We should mention from last week, sort of his end of the Senate, leaving the Senate speech about polarization. It was good, really good piece. People should check it out. Yeah. All right. So we'll be back tomorrow to continue telling you about how uh, the party that probably most of you listening to my voice voted for is heading for the, you know, dumpster. Um, so, you know, because that's what we do. We're here. I was going to say iceberg because it's going to be a slow sinking, but any dumpster okay. works too. Well, some die by fire, others by ice, right? So the iceberg hits the ore. You got a dumpster fire. One or the other, Robert Frost uh, is there for us. Okay. Uh, we'll Loading dumpster on. fire in the icy North Atlantic. That would be what a great picture. What a what a great <laughs> image you just saw. Somebody get on that. Get on that. Avatar three. Right. <laughs> you the said dumpster you fire. Of Avatar three. Anyway. Uh, so for Abe, Noah, and Christine, I'm John Podhoritz. Keep the candle burning.